Hi, I'm Brenna Ardron, and you're listening to For Your Healing Pleasure. This life can be rocky, which makes healing a big part of it. I started this podcast as a space to explore all that promotes healing. Through the voices of guests, healers, and thought leaders, I hope you gain bits of inspiration for your own healing journey. I believe together we can heal. So without further ado, for your healing pleasure. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the For Your Healing Pleasure podcast. Today, we have Rachel Yaney, and we are talking about all things the divine feminine, and I'm really excited to get into this topic. Um, Me and Rachel met each other through Lacey Phillips' um, program. Um, We have a little group that we we talk about manifestation and all of that stuff. Um, and she is an expert on this topic, at least according to me. Um, Rachel, do you want to tell a little bit more about yourself um, and kind of how you got into this topic of the defined feminine? Yeah, absolutely. So I am a writer, a journalist, uh, an essayist, writing in many, many forms. And I got into this story first with a lot of um, lifestyle journalism topics, just really researching what it is that gets the modern woman by every day. And that a lot of times takes sort of knowing your feminist side and your masculine energy to be ambitious, but also flow with life. So that was kind of a gateway into really putting language to it. But I think that my interest in it started a long time before that, or really kind of grappling with it in my own life. I grew up in a really small town and the only way out was sports. So really like the masculine there led the way for any kind of success and you had to be very tough to get by. And when I took my first art class, I think it was high school, it was kind of late in my education, I found that flow. That was the first time that I really experienced being in that flow. And once I felt that, I kind of knew I wanted to be more into the arts and intuitively move, not just in my body, but in my work. So that led me to being a writer, but also kind of trusting that flow and differentiating the difference between living in the feminine energy, the divine feminine, and then kind of being that more masculine, ambitious side too. Totally. Um, Yeah, I want you to talk more about what the divine feminine is, and then we can segue into why the balance of the two is important, the feminine and the masculine in each person. Um, And by the way, we're not talking about feminine um, as in like, gender like stereotypes it's not related to that it's related to feminine energy and masculine energy which is is different yeah Yeah, absolutely so it really is sort of like um they're kind of polar opposites to the the divine feminine the divine masculine and the divine feminine if you really think about females were the creators of life were the mothers were even mother earth the language all kind of revolves around that and it's more of a it's really something you have to feel into. You can kind of talk around it and describe around it, but the feminine energetics are those receiving, those creativity, those intuition. It's it's the things that aren't quite tangible, but you kind of know deep inside of you that they're working or to go that direction. And they speak through a lot of your emotions and physical sensations. The masculine is more of that border around those feelings. It's the container for a lot of things. It's the part of us that wants to 
go out and hunt and gather and provide for the people in our lives. And it has to be a little more fearless, courageous. Those words are often associated with it. And again, it's not about gender. Everybody has both. And it's really about not just finding a balance in those. There's going to be moments in life where you find a balance between flowing with things, allowing, and especially receiving a lot of the law of attraction language kind of works with that divine feminine. And then also in your life, balancing that with your tenacity to go after goals and allowing some things to come in, opportunities to come in and other opportunities to leave, people to come in, people to leave. So it's always a delicate balance and there's times when the masculine is going to be more in the forefront and there's times that the divine feminine is more in the forefront. And I think that right now, culturally, we're finding the divine feminine really coming into play or at least we're calling it in. I don't necessarily see it really happening, but I can feel the hunger for that sort of energy in our zeitgeist because a lot of people are kind of hungering back down as we're getting back into, you know, new restrictions with masks and things like that. We're also, we kind of came out of the pandemic and we're a little bit going back in certain cities and places and that feeling of just wanting to be sort of quiet and at home and want to heal and face some harsh truths, that's really the divine feminine at work. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I want to talk a little bit more um, about, yeah, like how you felt maybe from your perspective um, embodying that feminine energy, what it looks like in your life um, and kind of maybe even like what a day looks like really tapping or like what helped you maybe really tap into that energy when you're feeling like you're out of balance? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, there's going to be times in life when the masculine really needs to lead. And I think that growing up and kind of realizing that you had to be tough and you had to play sports and you had to fight to get your way out of small towns, that was my masculine at work. Even though I used it to follow a creative path. It was time for that to take the lead and also trust the divine feminine voice in me saying like, you can get out of here. You can go find your own tribe somewhere else and you can also follow the artist sort of path. So that was the first. And then I also got to confront it face to face in a much more intense way. Right after chemo, I went through chemo at 17 and going into it, it was a lot of intuition. I knew that I was going to be okay through that experience. And I think that that was my divine feminine saying, just trust the process. Just know that it's going to be okay. Don't fear the future. And that was a really brave thing to do. So afterwards, kind of letting that voice guide the way, but also my masculine being like, I trust this. I'm not going to falter. But coming out of it, I had no hair. I was overweight from a steroid and the chemo. I just looked and felt nothing like myself and nothing like a woman, if I'm honest. So redefining beauty from those standards took a lot of healing, took a lot of experimenting. And going through the experience of finding my own beauty in not a physical way once I was back in normality, I was only 18, so I had to go back to school. I had to go back to friends and it was really tough. But um, in experimenting with that, exploring feminism, in terms of like a physical way after such an, a serious confrontation with mortality, I think I got a better grasp on what it means to be feminine in that very traditional dictionary kind of sense of girly, womanly and things like that. So I also had the, the wonderful benefit of spending a very, very long relationship with a man who was extremely feminist. And he 
really wanted women in places of power. He really wanted women to feel beautiful, but also strong. And I learned so much from that, that kind of broke a lot of those bonds and those beliefs that we pick up from our mothers, our grandmothers, those can go back for, I mean, you know, with your work, yeah. generations that we don't even, we've never even talked to and never even knew existed. We can carry those with us. So they can be kind of timeless. And he really taught me to see my own beauty in a new way as well. So now that I'm in my thirties and I'm single and I'm still writing and working as an artist that way, I've learned to build in practices that honor my beauty and that feminine side of me that likes to feel loved and magnetic and attractive. And those are all good things. Um, and I can play with those in practices like a heels dance class on YouTube. It can be really simple and silly, or it can be something really serious, like a really, really healing bath. Or I do a lot of work with meditations around my moon cycle or on my menstrual cycle. Those can be really, really powerful. So I kind of like to build those in because I think one of the biggest things that women struggle with, with working with their divine feminine is they approach it from a masculine stance. Oh, yeah. So they go about trying to building these practices with like, a, I'm going to get this done. I'm going to put this on my calendar. I'm going to do it all. And they're even approaching playing with their feminism in a little more of a masculine stance. Yeah. Say more about that because I think that that, I definitely see that so much about like there's a, a very rote way sometimes that even in in every space that we approach all of these topics of like it's a checklist and like these are all of the top 50 things that you should do to embody this energy or like if you're not doing this every day then you're not truly tapping into this space and I think that that's definitely like a lot of that masculine energy and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that when you're trying to embody this more feminine flow, it we have to divorce ourselves from that a bit. And it's hard because so much of our world has is through this more masculine lens, um, kind of breaking or deconditioning from that can be really challenging, I feel like. Oh, super challenging. And I think anywhere you use the word patriarchal, that's going to be your first indication you're in a masculine realm. And that can be because, you know, history built it up that way. That can be because it was necessary at the time. A lot of times when I look back at situations where, you know, maybe in childhood, a lot of Lacey's work, you work with old, old memories and you dig things out of those closets and you really work with them. And a lot of times we put into our shadow, our feelings and our intuition and what we knew was right in the moment. And that's a masculine move. And then when we try to heal it by being masculine and being like, I should have been stronger. I should have been braver. I should have been more outspoken. We're doing more masculine work in there. And that's a lot of times how we've been taught. And it's also a survival mechanism that got us through really tough childhoods. So I think the biggest thing, the first thing is the hardest thing, which is to let go, to not plan it, to be intuitive, to flow into it, to even if it comes out with a lot of hard, hard emotions, that's kind of, you know, you're doing it right because they're coming outward and they're flowing outward. So really it has to kind of happen in the moment and it becomes a practice of mindfulness too, which is so beautiful, but you kind of can't do one without the other to be in the moment and to be in your divine feminine they work cohesively and together. So it's really about tapping into 
And it's a moment by moment. It's how do I feel in this? Does this feel okay? Does this feel good? Do I, how does my body feel? How does my skin feel? How does my soul feel? So it's really, really about present moment awareness in a huge way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, I definitely want to segue into a little bit about um, being feminine or tapping into that flow in the workplace. Cause I think that that is like one of these spaces, especially where it sometimes is more challenging to strike that balance. Um, and what you were saying too about um, women putting things like their intuition into their shadow, which I've experienced and I know a lot of other women that have, I think that's some of what causes people to get sick as well, just in general. Like, And this, I think, um, regardless of, you know, gender anything like that I think can be problematic if you don't find balance in these two energies because um you see kind of the toxicity of each coming forward um but yeah I think that talking a little bit more about how you've seen this like lack of balance come up in the workplace Yeah, this is something, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because I think in a kind of funny way, men have built our society and built our structures and built all the things that we've worked, politics to the school education system. A lot of things had that either masculine energy or the male influence in a patriarchal society for a really long time. And yeah, it's become their own sort of Achilles heel because men have the hardest time feeling their feelings and are just now starting to put language to these things and have these conversations and the work of John Wineland has been really, really influential for that. I think even though he works mostly with men, I have learned so much more about that being that my masculine is the first thing to come out when I'm triggered or when a problem comes up. Mm-hmm. So in the workplace, I think one of the something beautiful that's happening lately is creatives are stepping back and owning what they need to be creative. Mm-hmm. And Twyla Tharp's book, uh, The Creative Habit, is really good for this to realize how you can put very safe boundaries around that sacred creative space. Creativity, Kundalini, Lacey talks about that. It's That is the divine feminine. Mm-hmm. Creation and how we birth life and how we birth ideas through us, that's all the divine feminine. So in the workplace, it really means allowing your masculine to create the container in which you feel safe to create and put your work out and your ideas out. It also means slowing down. It means taking time to do things well and kind of getting over that hustle culture. It's so, so toxic. I mean, that's really fading out, thank God. But it's still a pressure that I personally feel. And anytime I have that imposter syndrome, which is almost constantly, um, I have to relax into it and know that I'm meant, it's meant to feel a little bit foreign. My ideas, my creativity, my art, my work, it's meant to feel new and it shouldn't always feel familiar. And that's okay because newness can feel really good. We don't have to, the unknown doesn't have to be something we greet, greet with like a tight grip. It can be something we're excited about and we accept and allow and we just kind of let it unfold through us. Yeah. That's such a beautiful picture. Um, I feel like I was listening to, I mean, first of all, love John Wineland. I'll um, link some podcasts, that other podcasts he's been on that are really amazing and um, 
also Rachel if you have any recommendations of his let me know because I'll link them below but um yeah he's an amazing resource and I feel like I've learned a lot from him as well um the other thing that you were saying about like creativity and this I mean I was thinking about the creation even the creation of life um as being such a feminine thing obviously and we don't think like when a woman gets pregnant or any animal gets pregnant, we don't think that the baby's going to appear the next day. We understand that there's this like period in the incubator where things are kind of um, working and growing and like coming into place. And I think um, you're a manifesting generator as well too, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've been digging more into human design recently. I'm also a manifesting generator and um, it's a sacral being. Don't worry, we're going to have someone who's a human design expert on the show soon. So um, if you're a listener and you're like, what the fuck is human design? (laughs) That's coming. Um, But generators and manifesting generators are sacral beings And the sacral center is the creativity center. It's the um, center, the chakra that holds reproductive organs, all of that very feminine stuff. And generators and manifesting generators are supposed to, um, their strategy is to wait to respond to things that light them up. And so we'll do things that light them up and then wait to respond for that creative, that spark to actually take action. And it, although generators and manifesting generators have that energy that can go, go, go and can like almost fake it to be a bit more masculine all the time, I've felt within myself that burnout more because it's like the natural energy of that type is to be in that state of flow of like you're not going to be banging out whatever you're doing 24 7 because there needs to be that time in the incubator where you're doing like you're taking those baths or going on those walks or like talking to family or um having a dinner with friends where you're filling your creative tank so that you actually can take action to produce um, as you were talking, I was just like, wow, that is such a, the MG and the generator. Like it's so important to understand that feminine flow. Yeah, absolutely. And that is one of the biggest struggles too, especially for ambitious women. I think, um, any, anyone who identifies as someone who's an overfunctioner, an overworrier, overthinker, a type A, uh, you know, like hustle kind of girl, girl boss, all those things. Those characters are, and I say it because I'm one of them, they're going to struggle with being in their divine feminine. And a lot of that divine feminine requires trust, surrender, plant the seed, let it grow, don't dig it up. All those sort of idioms we know about letting the gestation period happen, it all kind of needs to go that direction. I mean, even with our menstrual cycles, a lot of women sort of fight through that experience. And it took me a long time to build practices around that where I started to see it as something very holy and an active sort of worship for my own body. And thus what I consider a higher spirit, they kind of work together in that. So that's a huge 
a huge point to make is that a lot of it just requires trust. And that's a great first step and definitely where I started of just, okay, I don't have to over plan this. I don't have to fix this for this person. If you find that you're in relationships with people you need to fix, you're probably kind of struggling with your divine feminine and the act of receiving. And I mean, even in like the idea of sex and reproduction, it's the women that receive. So you can see it happening in any kind of theme and any kind of area of earth or of a lot of spiritual belief practices. That's a place that shows up a lot. Workplaces, we were saying it shows up a lot. And I think one of the one way to go about healing that if you are, if you can't just, it's much easier said than done to surrender and trust. And I'm just going to be great and take a hot bowl of that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those things come later when you know that it's okay to take that time for yourself. But if you're a couple steps back from there, the inner child healing is a great place to start and just going back into those memories and trusting your intuition and working on the relationships that you have with. Lately, I've been really digging into the mother-daughter wound and the mother-father wound. And those are great places to see where you picked up either survival tactics using your masculine energy, shoving things into your shadow, or seeing where you didn't trust your intuition, you didn't trust your feelings, or you thought you were bad for having those feelings and really seeing where the patterning first began And then you can kind of use it in your day-to-day life to be like, all right, how do I relax? How do I allow this to grow? How do I plant this seed and leave it be? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Because I don't know how often we really teach that skill. I mean, rarely ever. I don't know that I necessarily learned it. And it's no one's fault. It's just not the way that our society has really functioned. Um, I'm excited in many ways to see this new generation growing up. I'm sure we'll create other problems that the next generations will fix, but um, I'm excited to see this new generation that's growing up that I think in many ways is going to have a more holistic view of some of this stuff and at least um, have some of these things taught to them earlier on or have it be okay for everyone to be kind of not be so productivity focused, but more um, able to allow for this flow. Um, But as you were talking um, about the menstrual menstrual cycle and kind of, I'd love to hear more about that and what that looks like for you during the month. Because I know um, I haven't, I learned that that was even something that was a thing literally this year like obviously I know the menstrual cycle is a thing but like that each phase has a different um energy level that could be associated with it which is intuitively makes so much sense but and then I've now started to realize actually how it plays out for me each month um, but I'd love to hear how you support yourself maybe through scheduling or, um, you know, other things throughout all of those cycles of the menstrual period. Yeah. The menstrual period conversation is so fascinating because mm-hmm. there's so, I mean, you look at tribes around the world, religions around the world, individuals. I mean, it, it differs in age and it differs at different thoughts you're on your life when you're in a relationship when you're not in a relationship your your period is really like a code you can crack into your overall health in a big big way and you can also see just from how you approach a conversation with yourself about it 
how do I feel about this? Is there shame? Is there guilt? Do I feel icky? Do I feel, you know, all these kinds of things. And when I left chemo, I didn't have a cycle for it was a year, a couple of years, which was very, very jarring. And I worked really hard to get that back. And then maybe five, six years ago, I got into the work of Alyssa Vitti, I think is her name. She's a gynecologist and she wrote, yeah, Women Code, I think is her book. But it really talks you through the different phases of the cycle all through the month. It talks about what foods and how to use your energy. And you build your sort of schedule around that, which is so opposite of what we're taught. As you were referencing, we're taught to make a schedule and force our bodies to meet Mm -hmm. that. And it's the same with the creative arts as artists now, copywriters like myself and graphic designers are saying like these, I work from home now and these are the hours that I'm creative. So that's when my body, my brain are ready to rumble, you know? And when you start working with your period, the, the first place is just the conversation of how do I feel about this? How do I judge myself around this? How do I feel when I'm in it? And then starting to build in easy ways to actually not necessarily make it enjoyable, but allow that process to happen in a way that for you feels sacred. So for me, I don't have the worst cramps and things like that. Like it's pretty painful, but it's not overwhelming. So I like to allow that phase to happen. I don't like to cover it up with a lot of pills or anything like that. I just like to just feel it because even though it is kind of painful, it's sort of a moving meditation and knowing that my body is doing this really, really incredible thing. Mm -hmm. And also just around the rest of the month going in feeling all those cravings knowing it's okay to gain five to ten more pounds each month as you go up and down through these parts of your cycle knowing what they're doing for you and not judging anything not judging the cramps not judging the cravings not judging the days you need to just lay down and not judging the days that you feel extra amped and you want to get a really hard workout and you're feeling like crushing it so it's going to take you through a plethora of emotions if you're present for that And you can find ways to, part of my practice is a lot of baths and a lot of meditations around moon cycles Mm -hmm. and connecting to the earth and connecting to a higher sense of power and energy and knowing that my body is doing, making a miracle. Right. Right. And is tapped into that like constantly. Um, Yeah. That is that's something that I feel like is so important and is so often missed. And some of it is because a lot of people don't, many people do not have the luxury to fully um, be able to allow space for that because they are working at jobs that Monday through Friday, no matter what day in your cycle it is, you're at work nine to five or, you know, you're, in a shift work job where it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, um, I think that it's good that there are some, there's some movement more towards people having more control over that. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something I think at the very least, um, for people to be aware of it and kind of look into, um, what each of the phases are and be aware of like, oh, this is how my energy looks during this time. This is how it looks during this time. And that's okay. I don't have to. Now that awareness coming in can allow me to do more to um, to ease up during certain weeks and then tap into that energy during other weeks. Um, I... I do want to get more into, um, if you're comfortable, 
um, your cancer journey, that time of your life. Um, I, you have a pretty miraculous story of healing, I feel like. Um, and then maybe some more detail around that time afterward, because it sounds like it was, I mean, I can imagine very challenging to kind of find your way back to um, your body after having this life-changing experience. Yeah, and it was it was sort of a sort of a dichotomous experience. It was both in my body and all about my body, and yet not at all in my body because it was the first time that my brain was like, "I'm gonna live," and my body was like, "I'm not so sure." So it was definitely you know kind of a a roller coaster in that way. Um, I think that I mean I had by the time I was diagnosed. I had, I was a very much like a student, very about my studies, things like that. I was kind of a loner and I just saw myself as really, really self-sufficient because I was really on this path to, you know, I wanted to move to the big cities. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to, you know, be a writer in magazines. And so I was really, you know, I felt like there was so much in my control. And when I was diagnosed at 17 and it was stage 4B, which is the last of the stages, Hodgkin's lymphoma and had spread through my body, into my bones, or just, it was everywhere. And the town that I lived in um, obviously didn't have the resources to help. And so we came here to LA, where I live now, and went to Cedar sinai and a doctor there used an experimental chemo. It had been used twice before, I think on cases stage one and stage two. Um, but we decided to go for it. It was really the only option we had. So that made an easy choice. Um, but it worked, and he presented that chemo regimen to the National Tumor Board. Uh, so it's now a chemo that's helped save other lives, which I'm so grateful for. And so in awe of, I still can't believe I was even part of that. And I think the reason I can't believe I was part of it is because through the whole process, from the moment they said, you have cancer, we don't know how this is going to go for you. It was a lot of things kicked in. And one of the biggest one was intuition and just this voice in my head that was just do not trust any any negative judgment around this, do not believe, even your own voice in your own head, if it turns negative, don't trust it. That was flow, that was huge divine feminine energy coming into that. And also looking at my body as something a little bit more, one step removed from my brain, getting out of the logic. And it was like, when you're told that your body is filled with cancer, you immediately feel into every muscle. And you're like, what is happening in here? And that embodiment, that experience of being so in your body, and then for the next six to eight months, just in the hospital and, you know, filled with all the drugs and all the chemos and all the, all everything. It was just a very, very physical, but also spiritual experience because I had to rely on that voice to, and I had to just blindly trust it. And doing so really got me into trusting and letting go and that practice of letting go until I left chemo. And part of my work as a writer is to help cancer survivors because you can power through that with a lot of faith and the right people and the right mindset and come out of that. And I don't even mean just to survive because I've known people while I was in the hospital who didn't survive their battles, but they lived with such a deep sense of peace of knowing that this is life. The life death life circle is just what we came here on earth for, and we can't control everything. 
Um, but when I left, there was just nothing for survivors. There was no resources of how hard it was going to be to talk about coming that close to death with people your own age. Mm -hmm. There was no one to guide me through the process of starting relationships and how to approach like, are you okay taking a risk on someone like me? And I've gotten better at those kinds of things, but they'll be something that I always kind of struggle with. It's an existential reframing that you go through every single day. And with the parts about divine feminine and, and becoming a woman, it's, it's a constant, constant battle to hold on to what I know is true and let go and let things happen. I want so badly to have this beautiful long life that I worked so hard to earn and then there's also a part of me that has to live in the Amor Fati mindset of you got to love the bad, you got to love the good, you got to let it be. Like you're only in so much control. And I think I grew up with the sense of a higher power being a very masculine voice. And I know I've told you about the book, The Dance of the Dissonant Daughter. She, the author, Sumant Kid, talks a lot about reframing that spiritual voice to be a woman, to, for God to maybe be a woman. And I think I kind of tapped into that when I was sick because whatever was the biggest power at the time was a physical sensation. It wasn't a judgmental voice outside of myself. It wasn't a father figure. It was the miracles that happen every single moment of, wow, I'm breathing. I can't believe I'm still breathing. Or, you know, like, oh, I woke up today. I got another day. Like this chemo is working for today. We'll see how tomorrow goes. You know, just living in great, great awe of all the beautiful things that are being birthed around you literally and metaphorically. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I just want to leave that out there for a second and take that in. Um, because there were so many just fantastic, um, parts of that story. I mean, I think hearing, that divine voice is so incredible, um, especially in someone that's so young or, I mean, just in general of like, yeah, don't trust what's going on here. I th feel like, I mean, me and you talk a lot about um, neuroplasticity and changing the brain, but like, an experience like that changes your brain and the way that you think about things probably, I mean, in good ways and in bad. But I think that you talking about just being in that state of, of trust and surrender and kind of being more tapped into um, just from what you were seeing, the cycle of that death life cycle of like we have we truly have such limited control in the grand scheme of things I think it can be very frightening to see that but also liberating but I think um I hadn't thought of the fact that going through an experience like that at an age like that and then being like, no one can really get what has happened. <laughs> and while everyone else was like, you know, 
partying or like studying for AP tests or SATs. Like I was going through this parallel experience that um, other people probably won't experience in their life. And that's maybe a good thing. But I have this depth of life that other people my age don't have access to. Um, that's, yeah, I, I'm just, (laughs) I'm in awe of that in so many ways. Um, I remember you saying that there was an, like a nurse or someone that helped you meditate as well in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, Cedar Sinai took just exceptional care of me. I was so spoiled rotten. And one of the people on my team to help me um, was, I think she was a social worker, and she taught me how to meditate beyond pain. And this was something that I think I do now and that and those practices around my menstrual cycle I was talking about, just kind of feeling into the cramps and just being like, whoa, this is rocking me right now. But she taught me a meditation of taking a deep breath in when uh, you are getting a shot. So before I had a pick line, which is a rubber tube that goes in and they can just kind of plug and play your chemo. Before that, it's dozens of shots a day. Mm. And she taught me to just close my eyes, take a deep breath in, and pull the needle in, even though it's painful. And I always kind of thought about it. It's it's probably a little twisted, but I was a virgin when I went through chemo. And I just remember thinking, like, I wonder if this is what sex for the first time is going to feel like. (laughs) And I'm not, I mean, I think it probably resembled that, but there's a huge concentrative power. Or like birthing a child, there's a lot of moments where you have to lean into pain as a woman. Mm-hmm. And you have to, you know, and I'm not saying there's not terrible, terrible things that are painful that we should not lean into. <laughs> but that meditation got me through so much because divine feminine, honoring divine feminine includes feeling your fucking feelings. Mm-hmm. And that's a really painful thing. And sometimes that means taking in the needle of the truth, you know, that this relationship isn't working. This job is toxic. My family did not treat me the way I wanted it to. Whatever that harsh truth is for you, there's a medicine that comes in and that medicine is the truth. And if you can pull it in like a needle and just close your eyes and welcome it in, even though it hurts, that's, I mean, that's transformative. You can get through anything knowing that. Yeah. Yeah. Another, Another thing about coming back from chemo and just not really being able to, I mean, I had a ton of jealousy of other kids when I got back they were 18 and they were starting college and I was too, but I had to do it, you know, bald and overweight and just feeling like I looked like a total alien. And all I wanted to do was talk about what mattered. It was like the only thing on my brain was like, what, how, how do we just like take in all the love of these moments? And that's not what most 18 year olds, you know, are talking about, but I think every woman knows this moment or should um, and can and could And it takes a lot of bravery, but we all have that one feature about ourselves we don't like. We all have that, you know, my whatever is wrong, my whatever is this or that or not conventional or not the beauty standard. And there comes a time when you just kind of have to let go and just be like, this is mine. It doesn't, it can't be right or wrong. It just is. Mm -hmm. And right or wrong is a very simplistic and myopic view of really anything. Everything is, you know, two-sided and has many, many iterations of meaning and and truth to it and perspectives that can be put on it. And when you as a woman come to that place where you're just like, you know what, I have never liked this about myself, but it's mine and I can love it for it being with me. Mm -hmm. That's a great first way to step into starting to love 
some physical part of your body and then going into like owning it this is mine presenting it with some um sort of confidence and bravery and ownership i think that's powerful i've worked in fashion for so so long and it is always the interesting models that get cast it is not the girl with the perfectly symmetrical face that's not what any fashion brand is really looking for and that's to see that coming out of you know having to grow my hair back and having to feel beautiful when i just wanted long hair and it was so short and you know having to lose that weight and having to cover up the scars and then not covering up the scars and not wearing the wigs and not working so hard and fashion getting into the fashion world really taught me like beauty is much better when it's interesting and it honors its diversity and its uniqueness yeah yeah yeah, I think that that's so beautiful and so true. Um, for some reason, as you were talking about that, I was like, because you've been through your Saturn return, yeah. how did this process feel during that time? Like Of honoring the divine feminine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, my Saturn return um, was my late 20s going into my 30s. And it was a wild ride. And I honestly think, I mean, the work of Lacey Phillips propelled me into it. It was a huge catalyst because it was the first time I looked at my ancestral bonds, the pains of my mother and my grandmother, the habits of theirs that I had picked up. You know, they were, my mom was a baby boomer. So there was a ton of just that, so much rhetoric around what kind of woman she should be, how accomplished she should be, what she should give to a man. And she is a strong, beautiful woman in an incredible, loving, supportive relationship. So I got lucky, but there's still wounds there. Mm -hmm. And so going into my Saturn return and really analyzing like where I abandoned myself in relationships, it was huge. I was a fixer. I was a people pleaser. And I was the person who picked a partner who would allow me to take a lot of care of them because I had the story that I have to earn love. And even the earning of love I did with the masculine energy. So it's kind of funny, but... When I started that Saturn return and confronted those mother-daughter wounds that I was, I think, kind of carrying for my mother, um, I left that relationship. And he was so supportive and he was so kind. And he, I mean, when we broke up after eight years, he just said, like, you are a beautiful woman and you deserve all the happiness. And if your intuition is telling you go that way, go that way, which I thought would mean everything was going to be smooth sailing. <laughs> and it You're like, great, way. I finished that. Let me, yeah. I'm cool. Did it. <laughs> and no, you know, like being out in the world on your own as a woman, it just like, it almost at every turn is an invitation to put out your masculine, to prove yourself, to earn an accomplishment, a title, a validation to, you know, to compete, to over-function. And it's been now three years on my own and I, the first part of it was work. It was forcing myself to be okay, even though I had made the decision to be, you know, completely alone and really, really dig into the issues I was carrying around and where I was, you know, abandoning myself. And then it got to be playful. It goes from, all of this goes from really, really hard, really uncomfortable, feels so unfamiliar because it's not what you've always done and it's not what saved your life and gotten you this far into it being really exciting and you get to like play with it and you can mix it with other things. I mix it with my spiritual practices and I mix it with my body work and my exercise. I mix it in my sex life. It's like, 
you and I have talked about the stories I've told you of becoming really magnetic and attractive to just total strangers. Yeah, I want you to talk more about that now because she has some pretty amazing stories about this. You don't have to reveal if you don't want to, but I definitely want you to talk about that process of magnetism for you, especially in the dating space. Now, I do want to, and Rachel, I know, agrees with me here. You have to do the first part. Like, you can't jump into, like, magnetism is not a quick fix. You have to, like, do that first part of the uncomfortable work of, like, truly loving yourself. I mean, we've heard this, like, everywhere if you don't love yourself how can you anyone else love you or whatever that yeah but and but I think that there definitely is some truth to to that of of course it's not going to be perfect it's like a lifelong journey that we have but I think that um magnetism it can't the reason for wanting to be magnetic can't be so that I attract the man, perfect man that I want that's going to complete me. And um, I know that I've been in that space where it's like, oh, I want all this stuff so that I can get this, that, or the other. And realizing that, like, that can't be the reason is, like, part of that first step of, like, okay, now I can build the foundation and then – that magnetism is kind of what you get as a result, but. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. Because if you, I mean, even if you approach it as I want to get this so I can feel complete, I want to get a man so I can feel complete. You'll get it. Sometimes you won't hold it and you won't, it won't, you know, just because you got the validation that was all you're in it for. Right. And it's not going to, you'll arrive there and it's not going to, you'll be like, oh, I'm still in this place where I don't quite feel complete because the answer isn't there and I think I mean that's something that I learn every day for you know different things I think we all um, are taught in a certain way that the American dream the white picket fence the house the car the man the whatever is going to be it's like you reach that pinnacle and then that's that's it and that's nirvana and you've made it or whatever and it's not not that I'm there but it's not true um you have to and you see it we see it we see people that are at that space and still aren't happy or still aren't in a place where they love themselves and it's painful and I think more painful because you're like, this is what I've been told all my life I'm supposed to have or do. And it's here and I don't feel. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I mean, you'll never, you'll never get there. I mean, that's the trap of that mm-hmm. is because you're looking for an emotional sensation in a physical thing or person or circumstance. And you, when you said like, I'm not there yet, it's because if that's the way to go about it, you'll never get there. And right. I mix a lot of this work with uh, my therapist. She's this incredible, amazing woman. And she's just constantly checking me on because of that uh, experience with chemo. So young, I was like, Oh my God, second chance to grow up. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go here. I'm going to visit these places. I'm going to 
you know, be all, accomplish all these things before death comes back. And she's constantly bringing me back to this present moment and being like, but what about the process? But what about the feelings? Because we didn't come here for, you know, those end results. The end results are great. And sometimes the end result doesn't turn out anything like we want and it turns out so much better. And that's again, where the surrender piece of it comes in and, and cultivating just trust in all the process, but feeling the process and feeling not just your feelings, but you know, how every moment and accomplishment and failure really like shows up and what it has to teach and getting really open and welcoming to those kinds of things in your life. It's, it's really, really, really hard to do. But once you start doing it, you, you get into that habit. It becomes, you know, those neural pathways start getting stronger. Just like, like Glennon Doyle says, I, we can do hard things. And some, it's always the hard things that bring you the right lessons, you know, like that's where the good stuff is. So we really don't want to miss that anyways. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, sorry, that was a t- important tangent, but I want to get back to the magnetism, how you tapped into that and what happened when you did. So I um, was very single, as you remember, for a while. And I think a lot of people are probably going to know this feeling. You get out of a relationship and you just feel like you are hot shit. And it's just like not hard to get dates. It's not hard to meet people because you're just feeling really good about yourself and you're enjoying the sensations of the freedom and, and like the no rules and only having to look out for yourself. And those are things that are magnetic because you're just feeling good about yourself. So it's easy to master for a little while. It's really hard to master for a long while. And it's even harder to master in once you do get in a relationship because you start to see your partner reflects back to you the things that are amazing about you. And you forget to look for those things on your own. And you forget to look and love the things about you that they don't honor, that they don't call out, that, you know, doesn't really matter if they like or don't like them. It's just, you know, it might be as simple as I'm kind of messy when I'm making art. It's kind of a messy process. It brings out my inner child and your partner might hate that, but that might be something that you hold with great regard and that makes you magnetic even though it drives people crazy. So it gets kind of tricky, but um, when I was growing up, I always felt like the ugly duckling in a small town. It just was not, I was never asked to a school dance. I never, like, it just was a, a very hard, hard road. And I put being smart above being pretty because I thought being pretty meant being vain and I thought it wasn't for me it wasn't safe to do that so I judged it from afar and then coming out of chemo learning to see myself as beautiful not just for what I had gone through but for my own body and you know loving every stage of the hair coming back and my growing into my body and working with its scars and knowing that you know the changes and even now in my 30s like it's a whole new bag Mm-hmm. Everything changes. Everything decides to do something else that you thought it was going to do forever. <laughs> so it's just like a, you know, it's just a really, really rough thing. And um, but it's fun if you, you know, if you do it with an open mind. And when I started dating again, at first it was great, just like love and life and and meeting a lot of amazing people. And then I would start to notice too other times when I would go out with girlfriends or whatever it was, I just wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't. I, it just wasn't quite right. And I could tell, but I was like, I can fake it till I make it. And mm. with magnetism like that, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of teachers that say you kind of can fake it till you make it. And that just was not my experience. Mm-hmm. I needed to get it to a place that felt right. It felt good. And I just started doing all even more of this research on the masculine and feminine, reading books, uh, watching podcasts, playing with 
anything that felt like divine magic, divine feminine magic, you know, those like dance classes on YouTube or something that I felt really silly doing. And I look very clumsy and I still feel so sexy and just being like, oh, I can do this for me, actually. This doesn't have to be for my date. This doesn't have to be to magnetize anything. And once I started like feeling those more frequently, it was a little bit easier to slip into that mindset and get into that feeling. And I had the practices. I knew if I was going out with the girls and I did want to meet people to make sure that the hour that I was getting ready felt sensual, felt fun, felt free, felt unrestricted. It wasn't, you know, a pre-planned outfit and it wasn't like all these like perfectly planned things. It was like, turn on some music, have a glass of wine and get yourself feeling very sexy. And the results kind of started, you know, getting better and better until it wasn't about attracting a partner. It was just about feeling that way. Mm -hmm. And it felt so good. And then the real peak, which is what you're referring to, (laughs) is um, I was, I can't even remember which one came first, but I ended up attracting to me physically my two biggest celebrity crushes of all time. And not just <laughs> near me, but like full conversations with them. And one of them asked to buy me a drink, which was like, wait, what? <laughs> so the first one, uh, my girlfriend and I are sitting in a bar and I just feel called. There's a door in the back and I'm going through that door and I don't know how or why, but somebody's going to get me through that door. So we go out to the door and we're on the middle of the dance floor just having a great time. And my my magnetism I could feel was high. I knew that it feels like even if something goes wrong, I'm going to be okay. And even if something, somebody doesn't like how I look, I like how I look. And even if everything kind of goes wrong around this and it doesn't turn out the night I want to be, I'll know that I embodied it. I felt it. And I did war said whatever felt right to me. Mm-hmm. And I had a level of playful sensuality in that. So we're in the middle of the dance floor and I turn around and my celebrity, this man, this musician uh, who I've just, I'm obsessed with, walks up right behind me. And I was like, oh, hi, happy birthday. Because it happened to be his birthday and it's creepy that I knew that. And he was like, oh, yeah, thank you for coming to my birthday party. And I was like, thank you for having me. So that was the first time that I was like, this is, this is working out. This is very much calling in the kind of crowds that I would like to meet. Right. And the second time um, was... Uh, out in Hollywood and um, another another very famous person who I just have always had the biggest crush on and thought that I would be so nervous around but I, it was the opposite I um, we ended up having like a really fun conversation and just some I mean I didn't believe it was him at first so that was probably kind of insulting but I pulled that off <laughs> and it just in both cases it just felt like okay I can do it for a celebrity and it should be fun it shouldn't be this thing that's daunting or scary or work it should be the opposite of that and the results should be just whatever crazy thing because the divine feminine is not limited it's it's truly limitless that's the point the masculine is that i love to think of it as a container for all the things that the divine feminine can be and express and it makes the you know the safety for that and it protects it and it holds it in a sacred space and the divine feminine can just be as big and wild and beautiful and whatever it needs to be or wants to be. There's no rules. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that story. You know that I love that story, but I think that, um, I love the fact that like you were so in flow that like you weren't nervous around either of those people. Cause I think that's something that a lot of women do, um, is they kind of like pop 
their crush up on a pedestal and then behave from that space of like, oh, I'm so lucky that this person is talking to me or saw me or whatever, which is not particularly magnetic um, and just isn't isn't really the it's not the most aligned way to because it's not true it's it's false that that person is on a pedestal above you even if they are a celebrity or have some sort of acclaim it's just it's not true that they're better than you in any sort of way and so I think that like what I like about that story is that you were just so like they came in and you were just very like oh this is of course this would happen and great I'm soaking up this experience of meeting these people that I had wanted to meet and now they're here and yeah just the most embarrassing embarrassing crushes and obsessions on both of them and I just but I think you know the divine feminine when it's coming out in a physical sensation in romantic settings or in those, you know, social settings where there is a little bit of a sexual charge, it feels like, it just feels very natural. It feels like butter. It feels like, I mean, everyone's is going to feel different, but I know when I'm in that because I wasn't nervous in those moments. It was more like, yeah, you would come and find me. Like they both walked up to me and they both, you know, came up to me and started these conversations. So it was, it was a very deep knowing. And I think earlier we kind of touched on this and, and, how hard it is to get to those places because the first work, the hard work you have to do before you can have all the fun with it is digging into why you don't think you're worthy, digging into why you don't think you're lovable, digging into why you don't think you're attractive. And it was not a fun experience going long years before meeting either of them or having, you know, the sense of identity I do with my divine feminine. Now it was months of, you know, for me, tears, journaling, uh, calling friends and being like, am I really as awful as I think? Therapy, prayer. It was a million things before I could get down into what it was I believed, how it was holding me back, what I really wanted to be and how I wanted to be perceived and letting that lead the way instead of waiting for the world to tell me what I was. Because as creators, as women, as divine feminine that we all have, that's the life giver. So we should be going out with those truths and creating a world around them rather than, you know, taking all that from face value from whatever the world tells us. And that's why those mother father wounds are great to dig into lineages in your family. And uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes's book, I think you've read it, The Women Who Run With Wolves. No, I haven't. It's on my list, but yes. Yeah, it's just, an, I recommend that book to any woman I've ever met or any man that's like wanting to know more about their own divine feminine. It goes through different lineages of feminist folklore from mm-hmm. all over the U.S., especially, but the world and through all the centuries and just talks about the wild woman, the wild, you know, feminine that needs to be unleashed in, in all of us, if we're honest. Yeah. And I Definitely. Um, yeah, I I feel like finding that, like talking about the hard moments before you get arrived to that place of magnetism. Um, I think that this is this is gonna sound really like masculine, but um, it helped me a lot actually. Um, when I I did this little experiment, um, there's. The, another great podcast called 51 First Dates. 
Um, and basically this girl did this experiment where she went on 51 first dates. Um, mm. she didn't actually, no, I won't spoil it for anyone. Listen to the podcast. It's great. But basically it was kind of, um, to get into that flow of like, cause I think that a lot of women, especially in dating can get into that, like. I'm going on a date with this person and maybe they're the one and kind of like psych themselves up to like each date must be the one. And if it's not, then it's disappointing. At least I used to feel that way a lot in dating. And um, this girl kind of was like, I just want to like get the numbers in so that each date doesn't feel that way like I really can get into the flow of this experience and it can feel fun because it's not feeling fun in my life right now um great podcast you should listen to it but I was listening to it and I was like you know what that's a good idea and so I created um a spreadsheet which was recommended on the podcast not as like notches on you know my belt or whatever but like I had a really big problem with like getting into like future projection of like what a date I would meet someone and if I liked them then I would be like oh like they're probably like this and you know they work here and then this is what our life would look like and we'll have three like I'm making myself sound crazier but it's like we all do it. Yeah. Yeah. Like this projection of like, and then when things end as you're meeting the real person and maybe they're not exactly who you dreamed up in your head, then you're breaking up with the person that's in your head. You're not breaking up with the real person or things are ending with the person that's in your head. And so I created this spreadsheet of kind of like questions around how I felt in the presence of this person when I went on a date with them. Um, That was the most of the questions were kind of centered on like, how did you feel on the date? How did you feel before the date? Um, What? And then the last question was like, what's the overall chemistry score with this person? So is it like one, nothing's happening or like horrible date? Or is it like 10, like sparks flying? This is great, whatever. And that weirdly really helped to ground me into like, oh, yeah, what actually is important in this experience? How am I feeling? If I felt nervous or, you know, like you can't – once you tap into that after a date, like, oh, like how am I actually feeling in like my – sacral or like whatever how is everything feeling it's really hard to lie about and get into this place of but he works at this place and he lives he has his own apartment and da, da, da. like you can't get there because you're like no but I felt not that great or I had some dates where there was a chemistry score of like 6.8 or something I determined and I was like yeah, I'm not really looking for a 6.8. So on a first date. So I'm not going to like change all of my brain chemistry to like in favor of this person. It just doesn't serve me. And 
I feel like that, I mean, it could not be a spreadsheet for someone. I think it was. But I think that just tapping into like, how am I feeling in this experience? How can I make this fun? How can I make this um how can I make this about me and how I feel in the presence of this person instead of the other way around? Yeah. There's so many things in there that are just like such gold. First, that you knew that you needed to honor your feelings and created a system for you to do that because we all have different ways of going about that. For me, it's more of like a, just kind of a chart in my head of like good and bad, you know, like green light, red light. And that even took me a long time to get to too, because I mean, you're at a place, you're starting dates with, all right, all right, these are the emotions I want to feel, don't want to feel, this is what's important. Whereas I was all the way back and like, you know, is he having fun? And is this appropriate thing to wear to this place? And, and like, does it fit in with that restaurant or whatever it was? So I was a long, long way behind that. But also, I mean, there are just, I don't even want multitudes of women who like me, the last person they think of to even feel is themselves. Mm -hmm. And even after all the work that I have done, there's still days where I'm like, set a timer on Insight Timer app and I just sit there and just feel things. And it sounds so simplistic and silly, but honestly, they will show up later if you don't and you'd be surprised what's down there. And sometimes it just takes five minutes of feeling. And the thing with feelings is they don't always pronounce themselves well. So it's good to leave a date and be reflective on that. But you also don't get to decide how long they stick around because, you know, you might be feeling amazing about that date and so hopeful and that could last a day, that could last a week, or you might be feeling really down on it because it wasn't that fun and it didn't go well and you're feeling really defeated and you don't get to decide how long that feeling needs to express itself either. So right. again, surrender. Um, but I think too, when you're talking about, and we, I don't know anybody who's not guilty, man, woman, doesn't matter. You have a good date with someone, you project the future, you think about this beautiful thing with them. And what are you doing there? You're planning your survival. You're using everything you've done in the past to avoid the pitfalls you've been through, the heartbreaks that you've seen, and ensure your safety and survival. And that, it's hard to even say whether that's divine or masculine because the you know masculine that wants to go out and gather food and provide for the family, they're thinking ahead and those kinds of things. And the the feminine in us is also like just dying for, you know, to self-express in front of another person and to feel these wonderful connections that make life worth living in the first place. But you and I both probably share, there's also in that the survival of, I need to get married. I need to have a partner. I need to have this story settled and decided and taken care of and just get this like done with as, as fun as it is to think about that. And then you do end up breaking up with the vision in your head, you know, but those are the wounds of the mother that we can go into and figure out where her beliefs end or where society's beliefs end and where our beliefs begin and what we actually want out of, you know, this connection and what pace we want it to take, what feels good. And just constantly going back to like, what do I feel? What do I feel? Body work, I think is so important in this art because there's parts of our bodies uh, when I used to teach yoga and I, I studied it in India in my early twenties. Um, there's parts of our bodies. We don't even realize are tense. We don't even realize we were holding and, and like holding our breath, holding our jaw. It could be the weirdest spot in the middle of your back, but just one inch to the left that you didn't even know you had, you know, like could show up in a lot of ways and to get that moving and you know, the body's constantly in flux and flow and blood's always pumping. So just continually moving it and 
and playing with it and and getting the helper you need. I use a lot of massage work for that. But um, if you can make a spreadsheet, make a spreadsheet. And if you can't, give yourself an hour to decompress after the date and be like, what do I actually feel? Did I feel creeped out at any moment that I convinced myself would work so that I'd be chosen? Right. Yeah. I think it's like tapping into however you do it, tapping into that feeling. And then also like I mean, Lacey Phillips talks a lot about the trust muscle, and I think that was part of the exercise for me, too, was, like, building kind of a way of, like, putting on paper, you know, no, I trust that my manifestation, which is, like, very linked to how I want to feel around that person, is possible, and, like, this is not meeting it. And weirdly, I started going on better dates. I'm still single, but I started going on better dates, like significantly better where, you know, the chemistry score was a lot higher. There were other tests within those, um, but it was, it really works in a lot of ways. Like I think that bringing some more consciousness to to that and, And also tapping into like, yeah, how exactly, how do I want to feel? Do I believe that's true or that can happen? Which is where your own personal internal work happens. And then just trusting that that's possible, you know. And, um, you know, I, I don't know how this took a very sharp dating turn, but I think that like, that's one of the beauty tapping into this energy is one of the beautiful things about what we have to provide as women um is that that flow that men don't necessarily have maybe as much access to like and I think that it just like it opens up this whole other thing that needs to be shown, but like we have to honor it first, you know? Yeah. And we're going through such a a topsy-turvy, confusing time in language and our society around these kinds of things. Because I mean, for the most part, our conversation is really spoken to heteronormative Mm -hmm. couples um, because that's, you know, where we're withdrawn. And, and my, my feminist, my femininity, I guess, uh, really presents in those very traditional ways. I like to be, you know, more girly and sensual and tactile and affectionate. And those are traditionally drawn as being like more womanly traits. Um, but I've also known partners that were, were more effeminate and they taught me a lot about how to tune in and then partners that were incredibly masculine. And it was really rewarding to open those kinds of people up to their feelings, you know, and it's it's i mean it's going to be different for everyone we want so badly to be able to put language labels all the things in ways that are going to work for every single person and inherently divine feminine works in the exact opposite way which is that what works for you will not work for anybody else it's yours and yours alone it's your own gift of whatever that is and i think when you were talking too about feeling after dates if you can notice how you if you can get to where you know how you want to feel not just what you want to acquire, not just what you want to get from this person, but how you want to feel and start envisioning that. And Lacey's work is so instrumental for that. But also then notice how you do feel. And is there a disconnect? And go talk to that disconnect and be like, what is happening? And why, you know, 
doesn't involve the person you went on a date with. And the other thing that that reminded me of is earlier you were saying that, I mean, the statement goes, you can't love somebody else until you love yourself. But it's really when we're talking about how to become magnetic and go into settings with all this confidence and stuff like that. Um, part of that is you can't, no one's going to love you the right way until you show them how. And you show them how by the way that you love yourself. Mm -hmm. So really it's, it's more like they can't love you the way you want to be loved until you show them the way to love you. Yes. And that is so magnetic. People who love themselves, people who love their lives. I mean, that's one of the biggest things you'll find if you go on dating advice columns, dating apps, and how they tell you to present yourself. It's all like show that you're in love with your life, be in love with your life. And that will be the, one of the most magnetic things you can possibly do. And the catch 22 is you have to love the hard shit. You have to love your period and being in, you know, the cramps and thankful that you have that going on for you. That's a beautiful gift that I didn't know if I was going to get back. And I was like, I'm elated every time I get a period now. Cause I'm like, I could have not had that. Yeah. And also the negative feelings, love them and love them for the messages they bring you and the scars they give you and every little bit of it across the way. I mean, the bigger energies that we talk about source and universe and whatever language you put labels you put on those beliefs there's one thing that i think all of them should have and it's unconditional love mm -hmm. and the most spiritual thing you can do is really unconditionally love all the circumstances all the lessons all the hardships and you have to feel your feelings you have to you know and that's that is divine feminine at work i think definitely definitely um one last question then we'll kind of close things up um I feel like I have to have you back again because there's so much more to dig into. Um, I feel like dating, we could have like its own thing. Um, but I want to um, ask like what some of your major, you've listed some of them and we'll list them below, but what some reading resources or just resources in general um, people can have kind of as, as homework Um if they want to dig more into this topic. Yeah. And I have a ton because I'm, I'm not just like doing this for my own betterment, but it's also just fascinating. Like this is just every time I see you or talk, I'm like, I have a new book. I have a new podcast. So there's a lot. Um, I think uh, the resources I go to most go to's are those John Weinman videos. You can find them on YouTube, Instagram. His work is just so profound, prolific, transformative for men, women, doesn't matter. It actually doesn't matter if his videos are for the masculine or for the feminine. They're both just so, so powerful. Yes. Um, Sue Monk Kid, her book, The Dance of the Dissonant Daughter. Um, that book, uh, Women Who Run With Wolves, Clara, Clarissa Pinkola Estes. That was, that changed my life for sure. Um, I think you can do, you have to be really, really careful when you start looking for resources on places like YouTube or Instagram, because if you're tuned in, you'll notice the women who are using masculine to control their feminine and calling it divine feminine work. You know, mm -hmm. as soon as it becomes very ambitious and forced and things like that. And even if you are looking for those resources, but you're looking a little too curiously and not like, what do I feel like I want to do? Like, how does it, how does it show up for me how, that I can, you know, work with this then kind of maybe back off on that and take a breath and see what your intuition is kind of directing you to. Um, there's a woman on YouTube that makes these like two to six minute videos and they're just 
they're funny and they're sweet and they're endearing and they're so genuine. Her name is Rory Ray and she does a lot of work around, I think she calls them the sirens or something like that, but that's a really quick if you need like a little boost. Um, obviously Lacey Phillips work and anything that has to do with the mother wound or the mother bond or the mother connect, whatever you've got going there. So there's a lot of different books. The one I'm reading right now um, is discovering the inner mother mm-hmm. and it is just so, so profound. It talks about all the different roles that we have gone through in the decades of what a mother looked like. And the thing, she has this brilliant quote in that that's, we're not all mothers, but we're all daughters. All women are daughters. Yeah. And we also kind of, a lot of us have like a, a maternal instinct. And I don't mean taking care of other people. I mean, the instinct to create and to defend what we love and to, you know, sort of feel that way about either Mother Earth or our bodies or whatever is there. So those are some some of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that Krista Williams did an episode of the Almost 30 podcast on the mother wound. So I'll link that below as well. I forgot what book she read to kind of help guide her through that. But um, yeah, I'm – yeah, I think that that's definitely something it's important to to look at. I mean, we hold so much ancestral stuff within our bodies. And oftentimes, um, if things aren't resolved in the previous generation, then they actually are integrated into your makeup. Um, and... you see a lot of trauma stories being played out in the youngest generation. Um, And so I think that at least becoming aware of what some of those wounds are and kind of, or what your wound looks like can be really helpful of bringing some of this stuff through. Um, I typically ask this at the beginning of the podcast, but um, what is your sun, moon, and rising? I just think it gives. And then we talked about human design, your manifesting generator. Are you sacral authority or emotional authority? Sacral. Okay. Sacral. Yeah. Yeah. And I resonate very much with the man gen. Like all the all the stuff they put out about that. I just love it because I'm like, that is just so me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I highly recommend those every every. Thing about human design and finding yours and you know you're a big fan of it too but yeah. um there's one other thing that i was going to say about it just came to mind about um getting into this and that's the first thing i thought about oh, god i have to go back and heal all these wounds first you know like it was like oh so daunting you know and then i realized that's a constant in life there's always something to heal and it and it you're right it goes generationally ancestrally you're doing that work not just for yourself and not just for your future kids you don't even have to have kids for this it's that's going to usher in a whole new world for you know every child male or female or any um identification and we are that is birthing at all times Mm -hmm. and i think going into divine feminine knowing that it's a healer it's the healer within you you can approach those wounds and whatever wound work there is, or sometimes it's just improvement to make something better and heal something that's already working great, but just deserves that love and care. Go in it with that, with the empowerment of being healing and, and that being an expression of divine feminine. But right. um, signs, I'm a Gemini sun, a Leo moon and a Taurus rising. So it's 
all art, all dance, all love, all hugs, all the time. And it's very intense. (laughs) Yes, yes. But I love that you have that like air, um, fire, earth trio in your, yeah, that's great. And I'm sure you have water in your chart too. Yeah, I, I lose track after the top three contenders, but I'm pretty happy with my makeup. It works. It works very well for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, and where can people find you? Uh, my website, rachelyaney.com, which, you know, my name is spelled kind of funny, so I won't even leave that here, but we can link it. Yeah. And my Instagram is also my name and I post writing there, work there. And I also just released a new series where I'm interviewing different artists around LA. It's called Ethos and I'm super excited about it. In fact, the next artist I'm interviewing had a gallery in downtown LA. That's how I met him. Just this incredible work where he was taking prayers from people who survived 9-11 and weaving them into these beautiful baskets and just insane. And he's since gone into bodywork. So it's kind of perfect for what we all need right now, which is like, you know, a healing massage from an artist who just makes incredible creations. So. That is amazing. Um, I can't wait to tune into that. That is great. Um, Well, thank you so much, Rachel. Um, And this is great. We'll have to have you on again. And um, everyone out there, thank you for listening and watching. See you next week. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the For Your Healing Pleasure podcast. You can listen to us on all podcast platforms as well as watch the video on YouTube. To keep up with this podcast, please subscribe. And if you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. I really appreciate it. To keep up with Spiritum Meditation and this podcast, you can follow me on Instagram at Spiritum Meditation. If you would like to book a session with me, you can do so at SpiritumMeditation.com.